Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Trailer Talk, a Cinematic Doctrine discussion panel where Daniel and I talk about trailers released over the course of the month. I'm Melvin, creator and lead host of Cinematic Doctrine, and with me... I'm Dan, I'm the humble co-host. And without further ado, let's get into it. Daniel, how many trailers are we going over today? So, uh, because it is Thanksgiving month and we didn't want to take up too much time doing this, we have a mere six trailers with us here today. But I think we got a pretty good spread here, some pretty good variety. The first trailer, are you ready, Melvin? Oh boy, I'm looking at the notes. <laughs> the first trailer? <laughs> the first trailer is the... I don't know if I could call it eagerly anticipated, but the first trailer is the Sonic the Hedgehog. The second trailer, but it is kind of in a lot of ways the new first trailer. And uh, I have the press release here. Sonic, voiced by Ben Schwartz, is an anthropo... anthropo <laughs> <laughs> Leave that in. Uh Sonic, voiced by Ben Schwartz, is an anthropomorphic blue hedgehog from another world who comes to Earth to escape villains seeking to harness the power of super speed. After accidentally causing a massive power outage while hiding out in the town of Green Hills, he's targeted by the government who hires malevolent roboticist Dr. Robotnik, Jim Carrey, to hunt him down. Meanwhile, ex-SFPD officer turned Green Hill Sheriff Tom Wachowski, James Marsden, must help Sonic evade capture, collect his rings, and prevent Robotnik from using Sonic's powers to rule the world. So this trailer, as everyone in the world is now aware, features the much-vaunted redesigned Sonic the Hedgehog following the internet outcry over the previous design. The previous design was freakishly humanistic. Sonic had teeth, uh, realistic features, long legs. He was just sort of a nightmare uh, to behold, in a weird way, it was very successful marketing as it caused sort of this viral outcry of people just posting that horrid picture and freaking out over it. So they immediately kind of announced that they were going to redesign Sonic. And the redesign cost a reported $5 million. Originally, the number $35 million was being thrown around. Uh, so I guess somewhere between 5 and $35 million is the amount it took to make Sonic look pretty much like sonic the new design looks pretty much as he did in the sega genesis games and uh even the recent sonic generations game uh so melvin what did you think of the trailer and what are your thoughts on this whole sonic design controversy yeah this trailer was better um i didn't like how the first one was tailored i didn't like the music choice i didn't think it really fits sonic the hedgehog i think well, let me start it this way sonic the hedgehog is a weird property and i don't even think sega understands sonic the hedgehog and it's their property they keep doing these things that just don't make sense and the first trailer was very much that apart from his design which was a failure the entire tone of the trailer was like this isn't really sonic the hedgehog i mean gangster's paradise why was that in the first trailer so this one just seemed more fun and goofy and i was like kind of interested in it i still don't know why the film was shot digitally i mean i kind of get it but it looks really gross and so this trailer doesn't really fix that the colors just look matted and disgusting but i don't know i'll have a good time with it since since sonic is a cg character though i don't know why they didn't just get ryan drummond to you know be sonic because he's been sonic and 
so many of the games. Or Jaleel White. Yeah, or Jaleel White, who was in that. There was that fan made Sonic movie that's on YouTube. Did that actually get made? Yeah, and he, um, he, Jaleel White was the voice actor for Sonic in that one, which is just funny because that's him reprising his. Um, which Sonic show was he in? He was in. Um, he was in the two '90s shows. There was the one that was like Sonic underground where he was part of like a group of freedom fighters and then there was the other one that was more like a typical saturday morning cartoon where sonic had wacky ventures and they would like tell kids not to get caught in tumble dryers like with the sonic says <laughs> thing i don't know if you've seen that on the internet that's what that's from is that the thing where he's like uh no that, i was thinking of the comic pan panel where he's like alone on a friday night you're pathetic <laughs> and it's like I'm like where is this from this is amazing there, oh, yeah there's man. a weird amount of sonic properties that they themselves have very deep lore there's those cartoons there's the sonic x anime in each sonic game it almost feels like every game's a new reboot because there's like one where he has like he is a werewolf. There's one where he's a black knight. There's one where there's like a human princess he's in love with. And then like Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 and the Sega Dreamcast all had kind of their own rules and world. So I don't know if there is like an established Sonic like mythos that you have to be beholden to. And like a typical person, like their memory of Sonic is just, I remember that you jumped on things and got rings. And as long as the movie includes that, then I guess this is Sonic. Oh, man. Either way, I'm excited to check it out. If not for the novelty of it, do I think it'll be good? Eh, but we'll see. Yeah, and I'm not sure good by what standard. Like, I don't think I'll be moved to tears watching the movie or anything. Or <laughs> I won't come away with a better understanding of, like, Israel-Palestine like relations <laughs> or something. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to be getting out of a Sonic movie other than... I guess he, as long as he runs fast and Jim Carrey is fun, I don't know. S solid red box movie. Yeah, there you go. Definitely a red box film. That's perfect. Use your T-Mobile Tuesday. That red box. There you <laughs> yeah, go. if you have AMC stubs, that's a good $5 Tuesday movie. Sonic the Hedgehog's direct is the directorial de debut of Jeff Fowler, who has previous experience with animated short films. And he also did some animation work on Where the Wild Things Are, the Spike Jones movie. Uh, it's written by Patrick Casey, Josh Miller, and Oren Uziel, who I'm probably pronouncing the name incorrectly. Uh, they have a lot of experience with television comedies, particularly the animated Fox show Golan the Insatiable, which is apparently based on stories from the Something Awful forums online. So that's something. Uh, we move from one animated nostalgia creature to another with Scoob, spelled Scoob with exclamation point at the end just like shazam you have to yell it scoob yes and then you lightning turns into and a talking dog that solves mysteries scooby and the gang face their most challenging mystery ever a plot to unleash the ghost dog cerberus upon the world as they race to stop this dog apocalypse the gang discovers that scooby has an epic destiny greater than anyone imagined so before we get into it brief production note this project was initially announced as scoob like as like a shield style acronym uh, and the idea would be the gang would be work as part of a larger organization. And it was like, you think kind of like Men in Black or RIPD, but set in the Hanna-Barbera universe. And yes, the idea was that it would launch a shared Hanna-Barbera universe of films featuring their various cartoon characters. Yeah, so I actually am a longtime Scooby-Doo fan. I grew up watching the cartoon, and so I was very hesitant. But going into the trailer, I mean, there were really two things that you're looking for, the designs and the voice cast. And so with the exception of Frank Welker, who's been voicing Scooby-Doo since 2002, and he actually voiced Fred in the original 1969 cartoon, uh, they went with the 
unit dreamworks route where they just hired a bunch of famous people who don't really have a lot of voice acting experience so you have will forte as shaggy zach efron as fred rogers gina rodriguez as uh velma dinkley amanda seyfried as daphne i'm as far as voice acting goes i'm sort of undecided we didn't really get a lot of that in trailer but design wise i actually think these look great i think they look really colorful and they're like just stylized and detailed enough to be like distinct but not too over stylized or it ruins the cartoony sort of feeling of it uh i think it looks pretty good as a scooby-doo fan i think this looks a lot better than a lot of the direct-to-video things you've got or the pop name scooby-doo cartoon or anything involving scrappy-doo uh but what do you what do you think melvin are you a scooby-doo fan do you have any sort of nostalgia for this property yeah i mean i i grew up watching a lot of scooby-doo and i really like the um those first four direct-to-video movies the ones that are like real things are actually happening so like zombie island and and stuff like that ending with um i guess it was space chase or or cyber chase cyber chase. i own the vhs tape for that one yeah that one i've seen once and that was one that i was always wanting to like see more and i think i wa- i caught it on like cartoon network and it was like the second half and so i should really go back and just check them out because i liked all of them i was part of the crew that was like pretty bummed out that matthew lillard wasn't brought back for shaggy especially since like he's been voicing shaggy forever <laughs> i mean he did the scooby-doo movies and now he's basically shaggy in all of the properties um not all of them but he's voice acted shaggy a lot and so to not bring him back was weird because he also just like has the right voice. Also, I like Matthew Lillard as an actor, and I've always been kind of bummed that he did like three to four big movies and then kind of just stuck to voice acting, which I think it's great if he really enjoys it. But I think he's a fun, expressive actor. And so it's a bummer to not get more of him just going crazy because you got him going crazy in Scream. You got him going crazy in Scooby-Doo. And I haven't seen um, Hackers <laughs> yet. But like, I know he's crazy there too, but it sounds like everybody's crazy in Hackers. We actually watched Hackers in like my high school computer class for some reason. There is no educational value in that movie whatsoever. I think the teacher didn't feel like teaching. Yeah. Well, it's like I watched The Matrix when we learned about matrices in math class. <laughs> <laughs> There's no, that has nothing to do with matrices. <laughs> That's one step above when like when you're in Spanish class and the teacher just puts a random movie on, but with Spanish subtitles and counts it as like part of the class. So we, so there's already like a Scooby-Doo origin story. There's multiple ones actually. Yeah. And it was like a Cartoon Network. When Cartoon Network had that weird phase of like doing live action, it's called Scooby-Doo The Mystery Begins. And I remember enjoying that as much as it's like not super great. I think it's because like, it's just a ragtag team of dudes who just were like, let's go explore stuff. And they ended up being ghosts. Well, mostly in the lore, the lore of Scooby-Doo. Yeah. They were just people using ghosts to, to do money laundering. <laughs> but, um, and so with this film kind of making it like, like the trailer is like Scooby and Shaggy are at a movie theater. And I think, what is it? They were like, what's, what do you think the movie's going to be about? And, scooby is like talking about like some sort of crazy organization and then it cuts to like a giant floating fortress like in space and i was like i don't like that (laughs) i don't want this to be some grand thing it's always i liked that it was like basically a a noir for kids yeah and i don't think that's going to be this this is going to be like we're best friends and you're my favorite dog we're going to save the world and that's it i mean 
I know a lot of, I mean, they're basically cult status now, the, the Scooby-Doo films, um, the two of them written by James Gunn. I think he did the second one too. But like they capture the noir stuff, even if they don't capture a lot of other Scooby-Doo stuff. But even also they kind of do, but those are like Frankenstein movies well, anyway. The weird thing with Scooby-Doo is, so as I, as you, as I mentioned in my bio on the website is I kind of grew up in... I wouldn't say like a restrict. I I don't want my parents to sound like they're crazy people or it's like too overly protective, but they when it came to like supernatural things, my parents that was like a hundred percent no go. You know, I was a kid who couldn't read Harry Potter or do trick or treating. I actually have not been trick or treating in my entire life. But with Scooby Doo, that they're always like, okay, this is fine because the point is that there are no ghosts. The point is that these are people, um, and so like the concept of people solving mysteries together is not unique. Like that is not where your money is at, nor actually even is the whole like guys, friends with animal or talking creature. Like those are not the things that make Scooby-Doo unique. The thing that makes Scooby-Doo Scooby-Doo is what you're talking about, where it had this interesting atmosphere where Scooby-Doo first off seemingly takes place in a world where every business is like run down and like every town is abandoned except for like one person for some reason. Um, but putting the logistics of that aside where they would just somehow stumble upon every abandoned amusement park and theater in the United States, it did have this interesting atmosphere of like, there's like, it's all built on like the mist and darkness and dilapidated buildings. And they're investigating these creepy locations. And there is this kind of, I guess you could say stock like villain, like it's like a suit of armor or like a ghostly astronaut. And so it's like, you legitimately are watching like an actual mystery unfold. And it's, and so like, I don't like this idea that Scooby-Doo is becoming like a supernatural adventure where you're like fighting space aliens or dealing with actual zombies or actual vampires. Cause then it just becomes another Hanna-Barbera cartoon. And that's kind of what my fear is with this, where you're just going to get a guy and a talking dog fight some sort of supernatural entity. But Melvin, Melvin, there is one thing that we need to address. Are you ready? I am ready. So I mentioned that initially the pitch for this would be, it was going to be like the beginning of a shared Hanna-Barbera universe. Uh, and actually the movie is supposed to be directed by Dax Shepard of all people for some reason. And then that got put aside. Well, that aspect of the movie has actually not changed. And I'm not going to go into specifics because it is, it is a spoiler. But this movie has cast several like main famous Hanna-Barbera other cartoon characters and they're voiced by an absurdly star-studded cast of celebrities so if you don't care about that being spoiled for you go to the Wikipedia or IMDB page and you will see the cast listing and there is just the most random assortment of things that don't at all fit with Scooby-Doo and they're voiced by absurdly famous people which kind of confirms my fear that this won't be like Scooby-Doo where they solve a mystery this will be Scooby-Doo beginning of some shared cartoon punch them up where it's gonna be avengers but with characters that most people have already forgotten i don't know how, how do you feel about that i don't like it i think <laughs> i think it's really stupid i think the problem is and this has been a consistent problem with every single one of these shared universe startups that always fail is they try to do their avengers style thing first or they try to really 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 set it up first when Marvel started with Iron Man being its own movie and then a stinger that said, oh, there's more. And then Captain America being its own thing, but then having like very subtle, soft references to the rest. And then I also know like Thor is its own kind of movie, except you. Well, Thor probably is the most 
Avengers E of the phase one stuff. Basically, you had their own movies that if nothing came to fruition, were fine. Uh, and the thing is that if if a film is going to do this, where like you're saying is if I go to the IMDb and I am overwhelmed with Hanna-Barbera characters that nobody knows anymore and have no real passion for, like I know the Jetsons and I know the Flintstones and I kind of like the Flintstones more than the Jetsons when I was a kid. I was a Jetsons kid. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> That's uh, I'm, I'm wrong about most things. That's fine. <laughs> There you go. Um, but but I'm not really excited to see those movies. I am excited to read the Flintstones comic because I heard DC did a really good job with it. But It's incredible. I highly recommend it. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm flat out not interested. That, that makes me less interested to see this movie. I like Scooby-Doo, but this doesn't really sound like Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Um, I mean, this this kind of is... I'm, I'm kind of getting my head of myself a little bit... Uh, but when when you also look at like the original Universal monsters from like the you know 30s and 40s, those kind of organically it was kind of like oh wait we own all these characters and they're all they're all very like they're all spooky monsters and they all kind of work on the same logic, so it kind of makes sense that we'll over time sort of intergrain and intertwine them, and so like those things kind of arise from a natural like oh these are stories that can be told together and you know we can make a couple extra bucks at the movie theater as opposed to just this really feels like somebody was like hey wait we own a bunch of characters so let's give this a shot like someone looked at like what ips they had on the hand and they're like can we if you're trying to fit movies into a strategy as opposed to movies lending themselves a particular storytelling method and i think that's sort of a recipe for disaster scoob is directed by longtime animation veteran tony servan servan i don't know he um, actually has been writing and directing a lot of Hanna-Barbera cartoons, even some of the recent Scooby-Doo direct-to-video uh, films. And the movie's actually written by Edge of Seventeen writer-director Kelly Freeman Craig, which kind of makes me excited because the movie is, in theory, supposed to be a sort of like a coming-of-age story, and that was a great coming-of-age story. Uh, but moving on to something that's also paranormal and also is theoretically part of a shared universe, The Invisible Man. Ooh. <laughs> Trapped in a violent, controlling relationship with a wealthy and brilliant scientist, Cecilia Cass, Elizabeth Moss, escapes in the dead of night and disappears into hiding, aided by her sister, Harriet Dreyer. Dyer. Their childhood friend, Algis Hodge, and his teenage daughter, Storm Reed. But when Cecilia's abusive ex, Oliver Jackson Cohen, commits suicide and leaves her a generous portion of his vast fortune, Cecilia suspects the death was a hoax. As a series of eerie coincidences turn lethal, threatening the lives of those she loves, Cecilia's sanity begins to unravel as she desperately tries to prove that she is being hunted by someone nobody can see. Uh, before I get into sort of, well, okay, actually, it's it's impossible not to sort of talk about the long storied history of this movie. The idea of an Invisible Man reboot has been in the works for many, many years now. Uh, actually, at one point, David S. Goyer was supposed to write and direct because that guy just somehow gets attached to an absurd amount of projects eventually though the big change came when universal decided to launch their dark universe a say it with me now shared universe of interconnected films and the dark universe really got ahead of itself where they had like a shared cast photo where johnny depp was supposed to play the titular invisible man they had all these press releases they hired like art directors they brought in danny elfman to do a like a specific dark universe theme song uh then they tried to launch it with dracula untold which did not do well uh so then the mummy was supposed to be the first movie in the series 
and I actually paid money to see that in theaters just out of morbid curiosity. <laughs> and that was very not good. Um, very, very not good. And then so the whole Dark Universe kind of got scrapped. Uh, Alex Kurtzman and Chris Morgan, who are sort of the architects of a shared universe, which is weird because uh, neither of those guys have ever really done anything I've enjoyed. Uh, they got sort of stepped away. And so the Bride of Frankenstein movie was sort of indefinitely delayed, which is supposed to be the next one. In steps in Jason Blum, who has sort of become like a wizard at making money. He is the guy who's in charge of Blumhouse, as I'm sure many of our listeners are aware of. And he seemingly out of a love for these characters was very vocal about, I would love to do movies with these characters. And so he stepped in to sort of co-produce an invisible man movie, all the original people attached, including giant Depp exited. And so in comes this new movie. And I was very, very hesitant about this. This, it just, I was not sold on the idea of a dark, gritty, invisible man. The invisible man is sort of inherently, I don't want to say like, absurd character but it is a character that you could imagine people in the 17 1800s and 1600s being afraid of like what is this thing you just can't see him there's nothing else to the character but man oh man did this trailer kind of sell me on the premise where it's just an elaborate form of gaslighting this abusive man is using his abilities to sort of torture and torment this woman and it is sort of one of the most primal fears of just no one believes you um, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, no matter how much evidence is very clear to you, to everyone else, you seem very crazy and there's just nothing you can do about it. You're just helpless to defend yourself. And so uh, I think this looks, if you're going to do this movie, uh, dark, gritty reboot of Invisible Man, this seems as plausible and as believable a premise as you can do. I'm kind of sold on it. Who knows, uh, given the very troubled production history and the long journey it took us to get here. But Melvin, what did you think of this trailer? How do you feel about this potentially also being sort of the third or fourth attempt at a shared Universal Monsters universe? Uh, what do you think? Well, first off, I'll, I'll I'll go with the Universal Monsters thing. I think the I think there isn't a possibility to do that. I think the most you could do if you're trying to do a horror movie universe is look at Conjuring and see that it's like it's not really a universe that's going to get connected through like some grand. Uh, crossover film but more like here's some more layered history throughout this world that we've created um, you're basically creating something like <laughs> I was going to say Supernatural but I'm going to say the first two seasons of Supernatural um, which are the only good ones <laughs> after that it really drops off um, where you basically just have you could have the same characters and you could have some recurring people come back you could have history in those characters lives so basically their parents or family interacting with these torturous situations and how they persevere and you could have some really interesting story there but if it tries to do like um all of our monsters band together to try to terrorize people i'm like this is just too silly you can't make <laughs> that dark and gritty it's just dumb so i'll just i'll just put that there because I think everybody's sick of any sort of pursuit that's like a shared universe. I think if you want to make a movie nowadays, you kind of need to do like, I don't know how to describe it, side stories or like spinoffs. And that's how you can tell a story. I mean, did Ho I, I don't want to talk about it particularly, but like did Hobbs and Shaw make that much money? Because that's a spinoff from Fast and Furious. It didn't do as well as they predicted, but it did do... So pretty well i don't have a number offhand but it was by no means a financial failure and it was made for 
considerably less than a typical Fast and Furious movie is made for. I mean, but I mean, I don't know if we can necessarily chalk up the success of that movie to being related to Fast and Furious as much as we can chalk it up to being a movie stacked with very marketable, universally liked actors. Like The Rock is loved worldwide. Jason Statham is weirdly fairly successful in the way that like someone like Jean-Claude Van Damme and Steven Seagal both do decent-ish like pull overseas in like direct-to-video like action films. Um, plus you had Idris Elba in there. At a basic level, movies have to look good for people to see them. And I think Hobbs and Shaw looked like it delivered what people would want. So that's the idea, though. If you're going to do like a not a shared universe, but you want to kind of use the same IP and have that be part of your draw, then you also cast good actors and and make a good trailer and move on there. You treat the IP like another character or another character, another actor um, that you would put on your poster. And now people are going to go see it because they're like, Oh, I like the Invisible Man, and now we have the sort of Invisible Man. I kind of want to watch that one um, because I like it. And so you're uh, uh, franchising, but not in a way that's tiresome, which the shared universe term is tiresome. The MCU gets past it because they converted shared universe into the MCU. Nobody calls it shared universe. And so they kind of got past that. Um, they're also the tentpole that people go to. So that's that. Now, the trailer for the Invisible Man, I, I liked it. I think. So I I like the idea and I like the I want to go see the film trailer wise, like thinking of it as a trailer. It's fine. But like the film and the premise and everything like that really interests me. I think there's a lot. Let me start it this way. So I just watched Black Christmas. That's my patron review that people voted on for. So, you know, go check out the Patreon and support for three dollars. Yay. Um, and you can vote on movies and people voted for me to watch Black Christmas. And the thing with Black Christmas is that it's a very female focused film it's a very female empowering film not empowering like cheesy charlie's angels kind of empowering which is ironic because charlie's angels as a property has been like not empowering it's been more like objectifying (laughs) and then they tried to make it empowering with the latest one which i haven't seen i just know it hasn't done well yeah apparently you are not the only one who didn't see that movie yeah that's fair (laughs) good choice guys although kirsten stewart's a good actor i know that like both pattinson and kirsten stewart get a lot of crap for their twilight performances but they're good actors guys go watch their movies they're they're both very good yeah that said black christmas is a very female focused film it focuses on a lot of like struggles in regards to not i would say like equality but things like respect um for instance there's just a brief scene in black christmas where these two women are in their sorority house and there's there was a murder so these people are going around search partying and these two men and they're like older men and one of them is carrying a shotgun knocks on the door and they're freaked out because they're like oh my goodness is this the killer and they're just saying we're from the search party we're doing this but they keep talking to them and they keep going and anyone watching would go that's this is inappropriate like this is a sorority house you're two older men one of them with a shotgun you could walk up and say, hey, there was a thing. Do you know about it? Okay, you do. Bye and move on. So the reason I mention all that is because I, I love stories that basically force me to step outside of myself as a man and think about the female perspective. Because one, that's really important. And two, as someone who's married, it helps me understand more about my wife, apart from just her telling me things, which she always does. And I love that. So a film like this, where it's about this woman's getting out of a battered relationship, and then the man supposedly kills himself, but is continuing to abuse her. We basically 
get the the commentary of even when a woman gets out of a relationship like that, they're still really struggling with like, I was just in an intimate relationship with another man and they totally abused me and hurt me. And people sometimes are just telling me to get over that because I'm not living with them anymore. But I can't because now I can't trust men and I can't trust intimacy because the most intimate I've been with, someone was hurting me. And so to have a film that basically the trailer is literally she's being terrorized by an invisible man and saying he's still terrorizing me and everyone going like, no, how? And not believing that. I'm like, that sounds pretty close to home. Not obviously to me, but like close to reality of like things like it's basically personifying a terrible situation, which is what horror movies can do. Other movies can't really do that. I feel like if they do, it's a lot harder, but a horror movie can hyperbolize it and make it effective. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah. uh, Before I say anything, I just want to say that I disagree. I think the first five seasons of Supernatural (laughs) are very solid. But more to your point, I I think horror at its best really personifies fears of the time. Um, When you look at when you when you look at like I mean honestly the classic horror characters like Dracula the Wolfman like these characters and like Frankenstein's monster tapped into what were the primal fears of the era you know Frankenstein's monster is like science gone too far a lot of classic horror and even like folk tales deal with like don't go in the woods like be careful at night and so I think retooling the Invisible Man to kind of be this icon of terror of like like the treatment of women and the abuse of women in our day where. Like, this is a woman who is in broad daylight. She is among friends. She has, like, she seemingly is, you know, has a career and is, like, established in life and is independent. But still, there's this, like, specter about her that even the people around her just deny. Like, you're, you're crazy. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. He, could, he can't do this. He would never do that. And, like, the movie, in the, in the context of the movie, it's because she's claiming that a ghost is attacking her but like it i think it'd be easy for someone to look at that and just anyone in general who's experienced a, any sort of abusive situation where they've begged and pleaded with the people around them and said like this person is doing x y and z to me and everyone around them's like there's no way or you're crazy you know the problem isn't this other person who's hurt you it's the it's you you're the problem here and there's even a scene in the movie uh or just a trailer where she's seemingly placed herself in an insane asylum or she's been committed there because you know, she's saying things that sound crazy. Uh, yeah, I think you're touching upon something that could be very potentially powerful. And I don't want to get my hopes up too much because this is, you know, it's a Blumhouse horror, but, you know, Blumhouse likes to constantly mention that they were the studio that brought you Get Out and all that. But this is also the people that brought you Truth or Dare. And I think Escape Room was also Blumhouse. I mean, the Blumhouse formula is make a movie very, very cheap. Uh, something that could potentially do well with test of audiences, kids like escape rooms, kids like, you know, viral games. But I mean, in the hands of a competent filmmaker, which somehow sometimes Jason Blum is very capable of doing, he's the guy who kind of like helped reinvigorate in my Shyamalan's career. So yeah, there's a lot of potential here, but we'll see if they fulfill it. Uh, do you have any more thoughts on this? Or I really like Elizabeth Moss as an actor. I think did I say Elizabeth? Elizabeth <laughs> Moss. I really like her. She's really she's really great. I was so bummed that like the kitchen was a terrible movie because she was in it, and I I think she's a good performer. Um, so that was that sucked. I watched like the first few seasons of Mad Men, and that's I think that's where she like where she started. I can't maybe not started, but like um, I know she. I believe she got an Emmy for that, or at least nominated. I don't know. I watched that 
years ago. Like when when people first got Netflix and they were like, what do we watch? Well, I guess we'll watch Arrested Development or Mad Men or Breaking <laughs> Bad <laughs> AMC shows, basically. So I think that's cool. Yeah, I don't know. I, as far as like when you're when I'm comparing what I just said about like this film commentating on like a modern issue, um, which is still very much an issue. And then following up with soft connection to shared universe. I'm like, <laughs> this is a little disgusting to me, but it's the world we live in now. So here we are. I I mean, I'm very conflicted on that. I like the idea of very talented people taking these opportunities they're handed and co-opting them as a way to do something interesting. Like I think Ryan Coogler did that with Black Panther. I think to an extent, Todd Phillips did that with Joker where or like a studio is just trying to pump out 50 movies at a time. So there's hiring people and being like, yeah, okay, whatever, do your thing. And so if you can take those, you know, to, if you can grab the brass ring like that and do something with it, more power to you. This is kind of a random thought, but I think if we get, I, I would like to see a shared universe. That's a shared universe purely through a side, like side characters where you just have like, like if, okay, like if you were to do like a John Wick universe, but if it's just the only thing connecting the movies is the hotels or something, I would like that more than like a movie where a bunch of monsters get together. Like I cannot see like abuser invisible man teaming up with the wolf man, you know, to fight a monster. Like that just does, does not fly in my brain. Like if they did like a Dracula movie that co like commented on like sexual taboo, or if they did like a Frankenstein movie, but it was like about like the horrors of modern science or even gotten to something dealing with like, or we're seeing now with like possibly like technological advances or something. I'm sure like Frankenstein's monster will be somewhat like Apple or Elon Musk ish where he's got like smart parts or something. But like having these interesting like things that comment on modern society or have a lot of social commentary and they have to beat up like a giant golem or something or fight a zombie apocalypse. Or maybe that sounds awesome. Maybe I just talk myself into it. I don't know. Anyway, uh, moving on. The film is written and directed by Lee Whannell, who is a longtime collaborator with James Wan. He worked on movies such as Insidious and he also directed Insidious 3, but he wrote and directed Upgrade. So... Maybe Invisible Man's going to be awesome, but Upgrade is a is kind of a fun movie. Yeah, I don't know if that guy should be handling <laughs> like abuse metaphors. But uh, moving on from a spooky movie to a movie that also deals with spirits, but in a less spooky way, we have Pixar's Soul. Joe Gardner, Jamie Fox, a middle school music teacher, has a long dreamed of performing jazz music on stage, and finally gets a chance after impressing other jazz musicians during an opening act at the Half Note Club. However, an accident causes Gardner's soul to be separated from his body, and he's transported to the U Seminar, a center in which souls develop and gain passions before being transported to a newborn child. And Gardner must work with souls in training, such as 22, Tina Fey, a soul with a dim view on life after being trapped for years at the U Seminar in order to return to Earth before it's too late. I love this trailer, and I love his premise. Uh, Pixar is the master of telling universal and timeless stories. Uh, in a way that resonates with both children and adults, and this looks no different. They also seem to be the only studio that knows how to do computer animation in a way that doesn't look cheap. The animation always looks like real and lifelike. And it's also worth noting the music is going to be a big part of this movie. So they got Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross to compose a soundtrack, two of my favorite soundtrack guys. I'm a longtime Nine Inch Nails fan, and I love their score for The Social Network and uh, various other David Fincher films and John Batiste, the band leader for Stephen late night, Stephen Colbert is actually composing original jazz songs for the film. 
I know it's just a trailer, but the trailer actually did get some emotional reactions out of me. I love the themes that they're tackling with here. I think it's potential to tell a really like just touching story that will resonate with all kinds of audiences and has that Pixar magic that is sometimes lacking in some of the recent films like The Good Dinosaur or Cars 3. But uh, Mel- Melvin, Melman. Melman. Well, Melman, Melman, why don't you tell me? <laughs> Melvin, the mailman, tell me if you're as enthusiastic about this movie as I am. I I love the trailer until he fell into the grate and then it was his soul and then the other soul was talking to him and the whole point was like, oh, okay, he's going to basically like be remade after finding his passions. Because I was like, hey, a Pixar movie that's sort of just a drama. That sounds great. Like something about that sounded really cool to me. I am a big sucker for films that sort of build up like artistic expression as an as a really effective means of translating thought and passion and by that i mean like instead of telling somebody you love them you express it through something like a painting or a song or a poem and moving on from that or a dance or anything like that basically saying like language is effective but not sufficient sometimes and so the the premise being like i think he has like a voiceover while he's playing music in certain areas and it's about like rekindling something inside of you so then you can do great things and it was then putting up pictures of like uh, or not pictures but imagery of people playing music and imagery of just people expressing themselves in ways that aren't just like with their mouths talking to people and then he falls into the thing and turns into a soul and i'm like okay never mind (laughs) so i i so i guess well maybe i'll see it maybe i'll even review it we'll have to see maybe you'll review it i don't know but like, I just not there with it, but I haven't really been there with Pixar movies ever. I haven't really seen any of them. Oh, wow. So, I mean, I've seen them when I was growing up and then like there was like a point like Cars 2. I never saw that. I mean, no one really liked it, but like when Cars 2 came out onward was kind of when it stopped. And I haven't even seen Wally, which I know is like the last of their uh, really, really big films that people really love. Jeez, Melvin. Probably just not for me. <laughs> <laughs> you so you haven't seen Inside Out? No, no, I haven't. So my bad. I really loved Inside Out. I mean, so I'm just this is gonna be a weirdly transparent moment in the middle of the podcast, but I saw Inside Out a month after I was discharged from the hospital. I was in the psych unit. So ironically, I work there now because life is just weird and God's a great comedian. <laughs> but I saw Inside Out a month after getting to the hospital and Inside Out is just a movie about learning to like understand your emotions and express them in a very healthy way. And that's OK to be sad. So maybe I was just in an incredibly vulnerable moment in my life where that was the movie that was just going to like hit me very, very hard. I saw that movie in a theater with my friend of mine who's sort of notorious for always being happy. And so she was just like, I loved it. That was great. And she was like bubbly. And I'm just like wiping tears on my eyes. I'm like, oh, yeah, it was pretty good. You know, great voice acting. It's very cliche to talk about that. You grew up with Pixar. Everyone in roughly our age bracket did. Pixar is weird to me because they make children's films that children do not like at all. Like Up and Wally. I actually remember when Wally came out, there were articles being written about how children or people were noticing children were getting restless in the theater. Because Wally, though it has like cute robots in it, there's long stretches with literally no dialogue where it's just a robot like rummaging through garbage and you see like the desolate earth. And those are things that you'd see at like, <laughs> like they like the, the cans or something like that's not something you'd see in like a children's film. 
and so, but then Pixar went through this weird period where they suddenly were making films that are better for children. They're more marketable. You can make more toys out of them. You can't really make toys out of the movie Up or out of Wall-E. I think I'm. I just I think you're missing out, Melvin. I think there's really. I'm, are you an animation person in general? Like I know you're not a fan of anime, for instance. I had a big big period of my life where I watched a lot of anime, and then at some point I sort of peaked on like what I could watch that I that I was interested in which was a lot. I have like over 200 logged on my uh on my anime list, which is just a website where you can keep track of what you've seen, you can rate it, review it, stuff like that. It's like Letterbox but for anime. But then like a lot of like as more modern anime came out, I just I just found it tasteless and and abhorrent um <laughs> which could be its own episode. Oh man. But I just really dislike it. Please direct comments to Melvin's social media and not my Twitter. Yeah, there you go. I think anime is fine for the record. Please don't yell at me so i just like i just lost interest in anime and i don't know if i'd say i've lost interest in animation i just don't think i've seen enough of it also here in the west animation is largely treated for like strictly kids or raunchy adults there's no middle ground and that really irritates me because animation has the ability to do a lot more than either be something like sausage party (laughs) or coco yeah anime kind of had that for a bit and then now i just think it's a lot of exploitation which is funny because it's animated so you're not really exploiting people but i could tell you about how they exploit animators yeah but even then they're exploiting body figures body types individuals the market stuff like that that's its own episode so as far as like animation though is concerned like my personal taste i would like to watch more i just haven't gotten into it you're not wrong when you say that a lot of animation, specific, particularly in the West, is aimed more at children. Which is to say, I think there's things you can do with animation that you just cannot do with live action. Yeah, and I actually think Pixar is a good example of that. Where, like Inside Out, for example, like I think personifying emotions, or even here in Soul, where they're gonna, in, you know, personify human souls, is something that works better in animation, or like a ton of CGI where it essentially is animation. I'm just like, Pixar surprises me, and I'm excited. Uh, so the movie is directed by Pete Docter, who also wrote the story and is credited as a writer on the screenplay, along with Tina Fey, Mike Jones, who is a, just a Pixar guy, and Kent Powers, who I believe uh, is a writer on Star Trek Discovery. I might be switching Mike Jones and Kent Powers. Check on DB. Docter is a longtime producer at Pixar, but the main thing you should know about him is he was the writer and director for Inside Out, which, in my opinion, was one of the better Pixar films. Uh, however, turning from fantasy world that makes you feel good to fantasy world that makes you feel bad, this is Fantasy Island. The enigmatic Mr. Rourke, Michael Pena, in a dramatic turn, makes his secret dreams of his lucky guests come true at a luxurious but remote tropical resort. But when the fantasies turn into nightmares, the guests have to solve the island's mystery in order to escape with their lives. Uh, so this is a horror re- movie remake of a classic television series, which is partially why I selected it as one of our trailers, because I find this concept to be very strange and fascinating. Uh, for those who do not know, Fantasy Island was a show in the uh, late 70s and early 80s where a guy ran an island and the the guy who ran the island was implied to be supernatural or eternal of some way. Um, and various guests would come onto the show and explore fantasies, very similar to like The Love Boat, where it was kind of an excuse just to have various guest stars. And Fantasy Island was sort of a fixture of pop culture at the time. It's actually where we get the Zeppelin, Zeppelin uh, catchphrase that you may know from pop culture. Um, so the idea of Blumhouse 
Blumhouse, getting their hands on a kitschy 70s and 80s television show that was lighthearted, where people would learn an important lesson at the end of the day, and turning it into just a straight horror film is... I can't tell if I love it or hate it, and I'm hoping that in talking about it, we'll figure it out. Basically, a trailer is people go to an island, and they're shown their fantasies, and then the fantasies, monkey paw style, become very, very scary. And that's pretty all there is to the trailer. Uh, Melvin, what do you think? Good idea? Bad idea? Totally logical thing to do with the Fantasy Island IP. What did you think of this trailer and this idea? I am fascinated with the premise of people being like in impossible to escape scenarios so being set on an island that like it seems like i'm gonna assume that they can't like leave yeah um having a fantastical premise so this is like we already mentioned we name dropped escape room once but it's like it's not a good movie but i had a good time with it because escape room is exactly the type of trope that i like (laughs) it's it's people are stuck in a dumb situation and have to escape so you already got me interested there it's one of the other reasons why i watch so many saw movies even though they're terrible movies after the first like just terrible films but i like impossible to escape scenarios uh knowing that history though that's weird (laughs) it kind of reminds me of chips which i didn't see but i know like that movie had like a raunchy reboot from like a not ridiculously popular tv series but like one people knew so that's why they did it anyway yeah this is weird (laughs) am i interested sure will it be good no michael pena's not very good of an actor i don't really enjoy him and i don't know if i'd even say he's like a fun b actor i think he's probably a funny guy and i think he's a funny performer when he's told to be funny i mean people like him in ant-man and i make jokes that he's the only guy people remember from ant-man which is good for him that's really great for him (laughs) um but i watched there was a movie on netflix last year called extinction And he was the lead actor. And it was one of those movies that I believe was already made. But then the company who was going to distribute it got cold feet and basically said, we're just going to sell the distributing rights to somebody who can pick it up. Netflix was like, hey, 2018, we're trying to make a huge year of putting out tons of movies. So they bought it and they put it online and he plays a serious character. And it's boring. It is really boring. And he has things to do. Like, it's not like he's playing a serious, somber, characterless individual. He has, like, expressions that he has to do here and there, but they're not good. And the rest of the film isn't very good either, so that doesn't help. So for him to play, like, you mentioned that the original premise sort of has a light, supernatural premise. And you kind of get that in the trailer where, like, a character's like, how are you doing this? And freaking out. And he's just standing there kind of giving his version of a Kubrick stare. It's just, like, really dumb. So, I don't know. I'll see it because, like I said, (laughs) if it's got that premise, I'm going to go watch it. I even have a letterbox list that I have specifically made for this. And I keep adding movies to it as I see them. But I don't know. I. (laughs) yeah this does kind of feel like a leftover project from that era where there were people were just taking whatever name brand they can get whatever ip they get their hands on and rebooting and occasionally like one out of 100 you get a home run like i think the 21 jump street 22 jump street combo is 
those movies are better than they have any right to be but then you got chips you got the vacation reboot you know lone ranger like all these old properties where people just got something that had a name john carter john carter i I was very saddened by john carter uh if there is one thing that really should have been able to transition to a big franchise it was that but anywho so this does feel like sort of a relic of that era where let's get a name just a thing people can remember. Like I doubt that 80% of the audience that will go see this ha- has seen uh, Fantasy Island because Fantasy Island as a show, and I have seen episodes of the show, I used to be, weird for trivia fact about me, I used to be really into like retro TV. I watched a lot of Green Acres and Gil- I've seen every episode of Gilligan's Island for some reason. And so I saw Fantasy Island. And so there was this sort of whimsical take on it where they're like, you can't leave the island until you complete your fantasy, whatever it is. And, you know, there to be a tearjerker episode where someone just wanted to spend a, like, you know, a last day with their wife kind of thing. Or, you know, a guy would come on, he just wanted to be a cop. He wanted to be a famous actor. And they would learn a valuable lesson for the week from that. And this is just, you want to get revenge on your friend? Well, now you got to murder them hostile style. <laughs> and I don't know, like, how far that premise can go as far as, like, so horror movie rules. I think rules in horror movies are very important. Um, basic rule you can't leave the island they that's that's a great rule for a horror movie there's a reason why they can't call the cops there's a reason why help can't come there's a reason why they have to like listen to the madman who's at the helm that's great stuff but i'm worried that the whole fantasy thing will just be a hokey crust to lean on where they can just have things keep randomly happening and then like oh that didn't make sense well it's a fantasy so who cares and i'm sure there'll be some twist ending where someone like thinks they're on the plane to get off the island and it turns out that's part of the fantasy you know, you can see these things coming a mile away, and I'm worried that that's what the movie's going to be. It's just going to be like all the tropes shoved onto an island where Michael Pena stands there in a suit. But is this the, the I, don't, I doubt it's going to be good. The question is, is it going to be the right kind of bad? I think is what we're looking at. And I don't know. I As we've talked about it, I've gotten kind of less enthusiastic about the project. So, yeah. And you're mentioned about like right kind of bad is especially difficult with horror movies or something like this because. Horror movies, when they're bad, are really gross because you're basically just watching people suffer. And yeah, somebody listening might be like, well, isn't that just a normal good horror movie? It's like, no, <laughs> a normal good horror movie is a commentary or it's a thrill ride, like a like a roller coaster. I hope the ending of the movie is just two people like on a boat floating away. And one of them is a character that like you really haven't seen just been in the background a lot. And they're just like, what was your fantasy? And he's like, my fantasy was to be in a Blumhouse horror movie. <laughs> and then that's just the credits roll. Rotten Tomato score of 11. So like fulfills the horrific ad- like aspect of it. That was a great joke to end on. Uh, the movie is written and directed by Jeff Wadlow, who you may remember from our last episode as he's one of the writers on Bloodshot. Uh, the screenplay is also credited to Truth or Dare writer Jillian Jacobs and Truth or Dare producer Chris Roach. Okay, so it'll be bad. <laughs> yeah, truly a dream team. I feel like these are just people that Jason Blum has on like retainer. <laughs> just like, yeah, all right, guys, like you're assigned to 50 projects each. So uh, finally, our last trailer, Bad Boys for Life. The once inseparable duo of Marcus Burnett, Martin Lawrence, and Mike Lowry, Will Smith, the successful one, is coming apart. An aging Burnett has become a police inspector while Lowry, suffering a midlife crisis, is assigned to head up Ammo, a young guns group of millennial cops with whom he has nothing in common. Both of them reunite once again when a fierce Romanian mob boss whose brother they defeated years earlier exacts retaliation on Mike just as the duo are about to officially retire. As you can tell by the fact that I could not get through that description without chuckling a little bit, I find Bad Boys to be a very entertaining and fun franchise. Uh, If you're someone who's followed movie news like I have, you've probably heard 
many, many whispers of the long-delayed third Bad Boys film. The main thing holding up the project was that Michael Bay and Will Smith, respectively, were either too busy or, simply put, both of them are very expensive. So to have them both in a film together would have been like caused huge budgetary issues or getting the funding together was an issue. Basically how it goes is Martin Lawrence would be at an interview somewhere and he'd be like, oh yeah, Bad Boys 3 is coming. And Will Smith would not comment on it at all because he was busy. Jabs at Martin Lawrence aside and jokes about this whole project aside, they did have great chemistry. Like Bad Boys 2 is immortalized in the movie Hot Fuzz or it's referenced as one of the greatest action movies of all time. A moniker that I think it, it earns by just being so over the top and fun. Uh, but this time around, there is no Michael Bay. So there is a possibility that the over-the-top action might actually be complemented by actually competent comedy and some actual characters. So here it is, Melvin. Are you a Bad Boys fan? Are you a Bad Boy for life? Are you excited to see Will Smith and Martin Lawrence blow stuff up and shoot guns again? I haven't seen any Bad Boys movies. I don't really care for Will Smith. I mean, I didn't grow up watching Fresh Prince, so I didn't have like that instilled in me. And then like I didn't. I didn't watch a lot of Will Smith movies, I feel like. And then also there's sort of a fascinating thing about how like Hollywood kind of treats him and thinks he's one of the biggest money getting actors out there. And yet everything I've heard that he's done in the last decade has done incredibly poorly, either in the box office or critically. And so I guess it's just like a film that in that respect, don't care for it. So you can't wait. That's what I'm getting is you just can't wait to see bad boys. Three yeah, is what I, I'm getting I am. This. I am shook that this is coming out. That said, <laughs> I think Martin Lawrence is funny and I think he's his stuff in the trailer shows that he still knows how to toss a few one-liners and then also kind of like carry a scene in a comedic sense. Um, so that seems interesting but i'll just watch a supercut of everything martin lawrence does in the film on youtube instead of going to see it and that'll just be much better yeah will smith <laughs> is he reminds me a little bit of giant up where he's one of these people that just is always attached to something he's always getting these offers for starring roles and much like giant up i think he is talented i think he when motivated or when in the right project will smith can be very very good uh i think he's great in the pursuit of happiness i like him in hitch i think he's one of those people who much like someone like arnold schwarzenegger is just like even when or the rock for a more contemporary example of this or even when he's not doing anything he's just a magnetic screen presence like i just think he's fun to watch do things in a movie like suicide squad where the movie around him is just falling apart at all times there's just a confidence to him he's just a weird dude in terms of what projects he picks i don't know why he did gemini man or after earth or why he's in into the woods like uh, he was in collateral beauty which is just amazingly terrible but like there's these movies where he picks these projects and they're bad but they're there's something to them like there's something very like ambitious about the things he picks where they're like that sounds awful but i can see why someone who has his pull and his like fame would want to give this a shot because it sounds completely bonkers or maybe he's just trying to make up for the fact that he turned down the matrix and he's been trying to recapture that his whole life i don't know to the trailer itself, I think it is interesting that there's this ele this meta element where it's almost like the movie is mocking other reboots, where there's the hip, cool, young, new cast of a Bad Boys movie, and it seems like they're implied to either be the antagonists or they're not as big a part of the movie as the trailer would suggest, and it's really the old guys having to come back together to save the day. 
I think that's something like that shows me that there's something else under the hood here, maybe, or maybe I'm just really pulling and trying to find something positive to say about the movie. This film was directed by the duo of this episode has just been me saying people's names incorrectly. And here's the worst one. Adil El Arbi and Bilal Falah. Uh, Bala Fala. That sounds pretty good. The first time, not the second. Leave all that in. Uh, who are also currently attached to Beverly Hills Cop 4, which is, I guess, they're, Hollywood has decided they're in demand. And it's written by Chris Bremner and Joe Carnahan. And I'm actually a big fan of Joe Carnahan. He's the writing director behind The Grey, Smoke and Aces, and that 18 movie that no one remembers. He makes good, like, action movies with a little bit of, like, post pulp fiction edge to them. Uh, so, Melvin, with these trailers taken care of, which one are you most excited about? Do you plan on seeing any of them? Are you going to see any of them at all? Do you plan on skipping them all together? I'm definitely going to see Sonic the Hedgehog. I think a lot of people are going to see that. Absolutely. I think it's one of those novelty event films that's sort of like cult event films. It's already cult status is what I should say. Most of that comes years later, but this is one of those cases where I think it's like it hasn't even dropped yet and it's got it's got cult status, at least the trailer is cult status, which I will say, I hope there's a release of it that has the original animation because it, when you pop a trailer out, usually you're like 70% done with the animation. So it'd be, it'd be great to see it with the, with the first nightmare Sonic um, Scoob. I probably will skip it. Uh, if I ever watch it, it's because I do that thing where like I do it. I, I do it. <laughs> I just remembered that you ever see I'm not not going to be in it, but you ever see that that um, the Splatoon edit, but it's like a bootleg Splatoon and it just says he does it. <laughs> and it's like, a, I'll send it to you later. It's so funny. And then there's like, yeah, I have called, zero idea what you're talking Splatoon, about or what you're laughing like, about. <laughs> it's just so bad. <laughs> it's so stupid. Oh, man. I, I want I, what I want you to edit is I want you to include my so which one are you gonna see like that whole thing and just cut to you laughing hysterically <laughs> for ten minutes it just ends <laughs> yeah. none of these movies are particularly like I'm waiting to see that um <laughs> uh I'll start that over with Scoob uh Scoob I'm not particularly interested in it's the kind of movie that like. I, I do this thing where if I sit down on the couch and nothing's happening, I might just put a movie on and it'll be a movie that like I knew about four or five years ago prior and I'll go, ah, I kind of wanted to see that or I heard about that movie and then I finally watch it and then I forget about it. I kind of did that with um, the Goosebumps movie. Same. I had the same experience. It was like I saw it and I was like, I like Jack Black and eh, Goosebumps. I read a lot of those. It'd be fun to see. And then I didn't. And then there was a time where like my sister was like, hey, I'm going to rent this. Do you want to watch it? I'm like, yeah. So I did. And it was kind of a fun time. That's that's what Scoob is, basically. I, I'm not really interested. I'd probably see it, but only if someone else buys it. The Invisible Man is probably the one here that I'm most interested in, because if it works out well, then it'll be pretty cool. So I'm down for that. And I like Elizabeth Moss. So that's cool. And Leigh L did a good job with Upgrade. So it'll be interesting to see if he can handle doing something that's serious as opposed to Upgrade, which is anything but serious um soul and i don't really care for pixar uh but maybe i'll see it and if i don't see it in theaters i'll see it on disney plus because lord knows i need something to do with disney plus preview for next episode yeah there you go um fantasy island i'll see it i'll definitely go see that <laughs> 
just I'll have to I'll have to get a seat in the back. Wow. Or maybe up front because when you're in the back, your voice still projects. So maybe a seat all the way in the front. <laughs> it's going to be kind of a miserable experience already because I'm in the very front and I'll be the only one in the theater. So it'll look really funny. <laughs> and it's got the premise that I like, which is people stuck on an island or stuck in a place and have to get out or want to find out that they need to get out. So that's cool. And then bad boys for life. Uh, no, <laughs> just, it doesn't sound interesting at all. And the trailers have been kind of all over and I've had them on YouTube play a lot. And I just I have no interest in bad boys for life. So that's me. Yay. Yeah. This month was not great for trailers. I feel like, so, I mean, I'll probably see soul in theaters, not just cause I was so stoked about it, but also cause my wife is a big fan of Disney and Pixar. So that'd be a, that's a good date night kind of movie. Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm just so morbidly fascinated. Uh, I didn't, I didn't really get into this earlier, but Sonic the Hedgehog is a character that I am, I wouldn't say attached to in any way, but like Sonic the Hedgehog 2 on the Sega Genesis was a huge part of my gaming childhood. I'm, I wouldn't say a long time Sonic fan because a lot, like it's one of those franchises where majority of the games are terrible, but like, I think it's strange that we really haven't had many video game movies, like their mascot based that blew up huge or big. Um, I guess the Mario brothers movie does cast a big shadow. (laughs) I just there's so many things about the Sonic the Hedgehog movie that I find so strange. The fact that you have Jim Carrey hamming it up, the fact that every other actor in the movie is somebody that you'd see in like a lower budget movie like Neil McDonough and James Marsden, who for whatever reason just never blew up as big as we all thought he would. Um, so that one I'm probably going to see Scoob and pretty much everything else on this list is something that if it's on one of this 10 streaming of services that I have, maybe um i'll wait for see what the reactions to the invisible man are because you know i'm a big horror movie person but i guess it's a lot of meh you know i i that's what you seem like to melvin just yeah things that i guess if suddenly one of them wins the golden lion like joker did out of nowhere then we'll be like okay i I guess i'll see that one but just yeah well so how do we how do we end this podcast melvin we end it with nothing Thanks for plugging into this episode of Trailer Talk. We had a lot of fun making it, and I hope you had a good time listening to it. If you'd like to keep up with Cinematic Doctrine, check out Cinematic Doctrine's website for a lot of reviews, guest appearances, news discussion, and don't be afraid to get connected to our social media, all available in the show notes. And if you want to hear more from Dan, check out his Twitter, at TomRonda1. That's an H after the R. And if you want to support the show, feel free to jump on over to Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can influence the show and vote on a movie I review at the end of each month. Anyways, until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.